Welcome to Creating Synergy, where we explore what it takes to transform. Whether you are transforming yourself, your team, your business, or your community, we'll connect you with insightful and challenging leaders who share their stories of successful transformations to give you practical ideas for your own journey. Join us for another insightful episode of Creating Synergy. So welcome back to Creating Synergy. Today on our show, we have a special, special guest, and I have a little bit of a man crush on this man, Peter Holiday, an organizational futurist and a business agility expert. He specializes in helping leaders and organizations be fit for the future and understand new ways of working. He has a postgraduate degree in complex human systems from Harvard and the first master integral coach in Australia. Pete is an accomplished leader and an agile focused change expert. He assists forward-thinking leaders, teams, and organizations create their own version of the future of work. His specialties include creating agile teams and high-performing cultures. He works with the leaders of multinational organizations, helping them to rethink leadership development, assisting their organizations to redefine their performance in the 21st century. Some of these big corporates include Oz Minerals, Salesforce, Feast Global Mining, and more recently, a large piece of work at SA Power Networks. He is known, when I think of Pete Holiday, I think of the future of work, business agility, modern leadership development, and creating agile organizations. Uh, the word futurist is an exciting one. How do you get a title like futurist, Pete? Oh, thinking about the future, I think, more often than not. Look, I used to work with, you know, in part of my background with a, a consulting company that had a large amount of futurists that used to work there. So I think you, know, you just pick things up working with people as you go along. So Perfect. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, when I think of the word futurist, I, I think of uh, the Elon Musks of the world. And so good to be in that category. Oh, I wouldn't quite go that far. <laughs> I think there's a substantial difference between myself and Elon Musk. Uh, no, um, very good. <laughs> For some reasons, good and some reasons bad. I think you yeah. know, he's, he's an interesting. He's an interesting character. He is an interesting character. character. Very interesting. He's another one of my man crushes. While we're on the topic, yeah. so uh, so the future of work and business agility. Very very interesting space, especially considering current events Absolutely. right now. Can you just provide us a little bit of a brief background on your journey onto how you yeah. got here? And so I think. Primarily, my background has been leadership development and organisational development. So prior to moving, to, arriving in Adelaide, I used to work for a couple of boutique consultancies in Melbourne, then moved to uh, Adelaide and then did a little bit of a stint with the Leaders Institute of South Australia for a year when I first got here uh, and then before moving out to consulting by myself. So yeah, my background is really coaching, leadership development, organisational development and change. And then over a period of time, I realised that modern versions of, of that really had to take on an agile aspect and then helping organizations see over multiple horizons and then be able to work back from those projected futures about where they see themselves and where they want to go and then kind of retrospect or retrofit their approach to culture and leadership development into that those horizons and those frameworks yeah. so that's sort of primarily my background and where it comes from and my interest in sort of a growing interest in always adding skills. I think, you know, I think you've got to, in this particular industry, as they say, eat your own dog food. So yeah. there's, you know, there's always a, a part of telling other people to be consistent and upgrade their operating system all the time is, you know, I think it's imperative that you do it yourself. 
So I've always been one of those people that has always like, what's next? You know, it's very hard to position yourself as a futurist in anything and, and not be thinking about what's next and just well, doing what you've always done. If you're out there telling people how to uh, think about the future, you you need to be thinking about the future. It's pretty simple. Pretty it is, <laughs> you know, and thinking about it a lot. So, yeah, absolutely. The circumstances we're under at the moment, it's there's only one thing constant and that's change. Yeah. And I think at the moment we're seeing a lot of organisations, you know, in that space and being defaulted into that space of the future. So... So where do you get your information from? Like when you read, do you, you obviously read, you study, you learn. Is there something that you turn to quite often that other people could yeah, turn to? I'm, I don't want to give away your tricks. But. No, no. Look, it's actually a really common question that yeah. I get quite a lot because when I have a conversation with people, they're like, oh, you read so much, you know this and you know that. And I think for me it really comes from – I use things to minimize the way – that I, the amount of time I have to think about what I read. So th- things like Flipboard, where Flipboard, Medium, where there's some sort of AI preference running in the background, mm-hmm. which helps curate things that you're interested in and yeah. therefore, you know, lower the time it takes to find something interesting to read. Mm-hmm. And so I try and, I try and use technology in those instances to my benefit and yeah. minimize my search time and, let the computer or the technology maximize my interests for me and say, you know, give me a, a prefabricated or pre-populated selection. Mm-hmm. And usually I'll spend maybe an hour each morning, both Saturday and Sunday morning, just going through my curated lists mm-hmm. and finding what's interesting and having a bit of a read. And then obviously if there's anything that I think is really worth a, you know, a really deep dive follow-up, I'll either go and buy the book or buy a podcast or something on Audible to try and sort of deepen that knowledge that around knowledge. that that sort of thing that I'm interested in. Yeah, that's awesome. So you're dealing with large corporates right now? I am. Oz Minerals, SA Power Networks, these are, these are the likes. What's some of the work that you're doing with them? Obviously, I can understand the confidentialities behind yeah. it, but what's yeah. the type of work that you would do with general large corporate? Usually organizational change, organizational transformation, leadership development, and then you know the whole shift to Agile, which mm-hmm. you know I think Agile will be the default operating system in the next five years yeah. because it is the system that is best positioned to help people and businesses navigate the way that the market is. We, you know, we've got that term VUCA. Things are volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous. Yep. And I think Agile seems to be the, the system that is best designed to help businesses and people and teams navigate that space. Can you clarify Agile in one sentence? Probably for not. Our, for our listeners? Yeah. So I, I think it's really about the process of dealing with being continuously adaptive to match the market because the market itself is is changing so frequently and so quickly that it's a bunch of ceremonies practices and processes that help organizations to be adaptive in those situations perfect how'd i go there might have been a little bit more than than one so the the work that you're doing is generally in that space helping them become more adaptive yeah definitely i think that and that is in sort of multiple disciplines. It's the leadership development. It's, you know, the integration of agile. And then there's this thing kind of vertical development, which I'm... That's a, a whole other oh, that, yeah, whole whole exactly. podcast that's there. A, we'll get you back a, on later. Yeah, for it's a little bit of a hot potato, that <laughs> one at the moment. So 
again, where I think Agile is the new operating system for organizations. I think vertical development is the new leadership operating system for the modern world. Mm. I think if you're not doing that, aware of it or integrating it into your leadership development, then you're, you know, you, you might be a little bit back to the future-ish. So, all right, so give us a quick snippet on vertical development. Well, it, it's quite interesting, I think, and I've been speaking to quite a few people around vertical development and saying that Agile is actually the collective version of vertical development. It's really how do you build an individual's mind so that it deals with the level of ambiguity and uncertainty that we have. And, and we know from research that that goes through several stages and the higher up those stages you are, the better you are equipped to deal with the level of uncertainty and ambiguity that we have in today's environment. doesn't mean you're necessarily a better person, but it says generally you're better equipped and more adaptive. There is some value. It gives you different perspectives, doesn't it? Yeah, not only does it give you different perspectives, it gives you more perspectives, more perspectives. but it gives you the capacity to be able to coordinate those perspectives in more effective ways, yeah. which generally leads to better decisions and therefore better outcomes. I heard or saw an example of this type of thinking it was about, you think about someone walking at the bottom of the street, walking down the road, and they're looking up, and they're looking up at all the big sky-rise buildings that are, that are a place, and each of those buildings is, is potentially a problem or a problem that is going yeah. on in that person's life at that particular time. And then you think about a same or different person who's in a helicopter yeah. above the city looking down at those exact same problems that are going on in their life. And this example talked about how the person walking down the street that was their level of thinking at the lower level and the yep. higher level of thinking and it just the perspective and the and the scenery and everything just changed from the, the level of thinking. So yeah. it was one example that I thought really resonated with me. Oh, yeah, and, you know, to use that metaphor, when you're up that high, you can also see further out in the horizon. Absolutely. So not only can you see what's going on, but you can see about what's about to happen Yeah. and therefore move the pieces on the chessboard around a little bit more effectively. So you're operating on the system rather than in the system. So How do you? Pete, take these leaders to that level of thinking. What's your... Um, look, it's, you know, the stages of vertical development of which they're depending on the model you use. There's various models, anything from sort of Keegan's model of five, four or five stages all the way up to, you know, some of the phases that Lectica use, which is a another complexity assessment that I use, all the way up to, you know, 10 or 12 stages. And so yeah, I think well. depending on which model you're using, it... It's a slow process, so you're talking, you know, not months but years for a kind of a yeah. substantial step up in a stage of thinking. So it's not – and this is, again, one of the things that makes it difficult is because if you're implying that it's going to take a couple of years, then from a business you're implying that it's going to take a lot of money. Yeah. So I think – when you think about these things, you have to, the way you tell the story really make, has, you have to be really, really clear about this is what it's going to take, this is what it looks like. Don't expect this weekend workshop to solve this problem that no. you've got. We can load more skills on you, but if you don't have the capacity to deploy those skills in new and creative ways, then you just get the same old thing over and over again. Well, I think it comes to simple fact is that if you believe that your mindset can change in a weekend's mm. workshop, then you're not at that helicopter level. <laughs> you're, yeah. just, you're clearly not. You're not, yeah. you're not thinking along the lines of someone who is at that level and you understand things take time. Yeah, I think the other thing is really 
that's really interesting is the brain will lead the activity. So you, you will get a cognitive sense of what it's like to, to be at these larger levels, but to actually execute an activity at that level, that's the piece that takes a long time. Mm. I think it's, it's very similar to an athlete that you can run at a certain faster pace, but only for a certain amount of time mm. and then you'll drop back. But after a while of building your fitness and your consistency, then that old new race pace becomes you know that becomes your standard pace and then you move on to the next and so i think consistency is the the thing that really drives vertical you have to be learning and focused and consistent it's developing new muscles yeah so it's like going to the gym you don't get fit going to the gym once unfortunately yeah most people think that's the way it works though isn't it it's how we'd like it to work yeah yeah very good. All right. So what are some of the ways that you're seeing these businesses right now accelerate their work, especially like with the time of COVID that we're in? Yeah. It's- how are businesses accelerating their working in this day and age? What does that look like? Yeah. So I think, you know, we spoke about before coming here, I like to call it the accelerated future. Mm-hmm. It's, it's yeah, where I like that. organizations and you would see papers by the big four and in any of the mainstream media you would you've heard about the future of work and everyone's been talking about it for a couple of years but very few organizations are actively engaged in the activity of the future of work lots of people talking about it and COVID-19 is an interesting space because you know with all the workforce you know a large majority of them being pushed out of their standard sort of corporate head office or environment then it's really forced organizations to accelerate a lot of their plans and some of them have now been def, you know pushed into a default of the future of work so now i've never got to go home and think about what the next future of work yeah. right because the future is now now yeah. so some of the things i've been seeing is you know obviously the uptake of online technology things like microsoft teams um you know zoom all of these platforms that have been used in very traditional ways and now being pushed into the forefront of how we work. Mm. And so I think I would say that many organizations are facing their own vertical development moment at the yeah, moment of, of how do we create ways of working that fit into this space that we've been forced into. It's a, it's a really exciting time. Some organizations are, this kind of feels like it's going two ways. It's either we're using this as a launch pad to a new normal and there seems to be some organisations that are just kind of waiting and going, well, how long before it goes back to the way it yeah. used to be? So, what do you think will happen to those businesses that are waiting? Look, I think I think there's a space for both. There always is. But I would hope that when they go back to what they have previously been, that it's a little bit further forward than that. Mm-hmm. So it may not be the launch pad to the future, but it's certainly, I hope, not going back to exactly like it was. It was interesting I was listening i was shopping the other day in the supermarket and there was a a lady talking about you know having to adjust to the new way of work and i didn't sign up for this i just want to go do my job and then go home and no one's taught me how to do this and no there's been no training and so it was really interesting listening to the conversation about you know how organizations some organizations are really kind of driving into the future and saying yep there's training for this this is how we do it and then some organizations it's kind of just deal with it and you're on your own yeah. kind of so there's there's very different approaches that i've been seeing from different organizations to tackling the challenge that we have and it's complex and it's adaptive so it what do you think will happen to these companies that don't use this as a launching pad you know if now is not the launching pad what, what when would we see a launching pad in the near future well I don't, I don't think i don't possibly don't think you will for a lot of organizations and you know i have a little bit of a rant about 
senior leadership teams and, you know, people in senior leadership teams that get to the top and feel like that's it, they're done in their career and now it's a coast down the other, a freewheel down mm. the other side of the mountain mm. after this kind of big climb all of over your career up to the top and that the impact of not doing nothing, of, of not doing anything is probably not going to be seen in their tenure. So they tend yeah. not to worry about it particularly too much. Somebody else will deal with that. So, yeah. so I think there's that responsibility. Global warming is one of those things. Yeah, I think I think that's it's, it's kind of a you know a market version of that mm. of how that happens in organisations. And so I think that's that's a, that's sad that that's the mentality we have in a lot of organisations that that'll, that'll just be somebody else's problem further down the track, rather than leaders that really want to take responsibility and leave the organisation in a better place than it was. Mm. And I, I think that's the that sort of reference people use around sort of that heroic and post-heroic leadership is around you know just being the hero and being seen as the savior and then all then supposedly the that post-heroic mode of collaborative engaging creative and creating a new future and you see it with organizations that people benchmark themselves against like they attain that benchmark by going through their own journey to get to that place where they are at the moment where they're renowned for you know something special about their organization whether it's spotify or hire or any of those organizations that are doing really throwing the traditional organizational models on their head and saying well actually just because you've done it the last, that way for the last hundred years doesn't necessarily mean you have to do it that way for the next hundred mm. so and then you know there's some really creative approaches out there around organizations that are starting to think about the environment and then think about the organizational design and structure and how you could actually be different in that space. Who are these companies that are leading the way in that space at the moment? So I would say there's quite a few. Particularly in Australia. In Australia, Atlassian's got a pretty good oh, reputation. Atlassian, let's not get into them. I'll talk about them for an hour or two. Oh, okay, like, you know, so you know, you've got people like Don Price yeah. and, you know, who are really huge advocates of the future of work mm-hmm. and really drive their brand quite strongly in mm-hmm. the market. You've got REA Group. Oh, yeah, you know, are pretty yeah, really great. Yeah. Famous for their little TV portals that go through to China. Mm. And, you know, so then you've got ANZ with their big move to Agile. And, you know, a lot of the banks, you know, although some of them not held in the best regard over the last couple of years, you know, are definitely trying their hand at this. And anything that's software based, client facing, those organizations, again, a lot of these places that have got to being sort of prominent in their field have those people that have used agile and use agile well so mm-hmm. kind of there's this really kind of weird relationship between sort of progressive organizations agile and then when you look at the organizations and the leadership in there and the way they've done things there's a really kind of resonant of that vertical development component as well mm-hmm. so they're kind of three spheres of influence which tend to sort of orbit around progressive organizations Mm. in a really kind of interesting combination. On the technology piece, do you, when you think about the future of work, you hear all these comments like the gig economies coming in and all this sort of stuff. Where do you feel human beings will be in the future? Because with the rise of technology, especially now where we're seeing technology just taking off yet again in the world of COVID, what's your thoughts around that? The, the future of work's an interesting space in this regard because a lot of people will talk about, you know, the robot's not going to take your job. I think the robot probably will take your job, but it will depend on the, the level of anything that can be repeated numerous times with low levels of complexity. 
then you're in the danger zone. Mm. So I think, you know, all these people that say that your robot won't take your job, I think that's a little bit disingenuous. I think mm. there are some roles that will get taken, but I think the exponential creation on the end of that is that as technology emerges, then new jobs get created. Mm. So for every one that goes by, there'll probably be two created, but it will require a new kind of skill set to be in there. And new way of thinking. Yeah, and new ways of thinking. And I think different industries are at different places along that path. Some organisations that pick that up and run with that quite quite well, and then there'll be organisations that struggle into that period because there are people that, like the person that I overheard in the supermarket, they're, they're not really interested in the future of work or anything. Mm. They're purely just interested in doing their six hours or eight hours a day and then, you know, out the gate they go. And that's that's the that's level of stability is what they're looking for. And then you've got the real go-getters that want to make a difference, make a change, make the world a better place. Mm. That comes down to how that person thinks about the world. And then also there's things like, you know, where you are in your career, so I think there's space for everyone, but we are on a trajectory f- forward, whether we like it or not. Yeah. And I think, you know, if, if that's not where you want to play, then you're, you might get your ticket punched at some point down the yeah. track. So I think, but, and that comes down to personal responsibility. I think at the same time, I think, yes, you have the conditions of this accelerated future pushed onto you, but then you also have a, a sense of responsibility to do something about that or not. Well, the alternative is have no job, isn't well, it, really? Like, it's get on the bus yeah. or the bus will leave without you. Like, it's quite simple. It is when you break it down to sort of, a you know, that really polarity sort of thinking about it is either going to be on the bus or off the bus. It's just... Yeah, it will be, or then, as you mentioned, there's the gig economy and there's creating value in different ways. Does that open up a space for you to chase a career somewhere else in some other industry? You know, I think technology has been amazing and the ability and the ease it is to create value these days is just crazy and it will get crazier in the future before you used to have to have an office, infrastructure, IT, now you can register a business with ASIC. You can pay a Google G Suite account for ten dollars a month, and yeah. you're officially you're a mar- you're a player in the market. Yeah. So, you know, and that's why I think collaboration is going to be really important because if for these you know sole traders or small people, they can't compete with places like the big four, but they can network together and produce outstanding outcomes. Yeah. You know, one client I'm working with at the moment, we've been through that phase and got a couple of really talented, really smart individual consultants working together but and they're great by themselves but as a collective we all work really really well together Mm. um, and create something special so i think there'll be more of those sort of collaborative collectives coming together to create new value rather than that kind of traditional big four kind of massive rollout yeah when we talk about the gig economy do you think everyone will be working for themselves in the future is that it definitely seems to be increasing and look i have to put a stamp on my own bias here because I work for myself right after coming out of working in consultancies but it definitely seems to be it seems to be easier for people as I've mentioned it's easier to create value and I think there's more confidence that you can create a living that way and so I think there's a a tidal shift going on there and then you've also now I'm going to start showing my age here you've also got that millennial shift and all those age groups below that coming through where they don't necessarily want to work for 
big corporate or a big organization they you know we're really in an age where capturing your own individuality and the value that that individuality can offer the market like there's a real there's a platform for that now yeah, which is yeah. this gig economy mm. and so I was watching some video on YouTube the other day and there was an ad for Squarespace and it's this woman in a hotel in Bali saying this is how I managed to create the life that I've got just through you know views and things channeling through her website mm. and that was it and I was like well, if you want to live in Bali 12 months a year and have that life like wow good on you mm. so everyone can do what they want exactly it does you know the non-locality of technology is fantastic well that's what COVID's done I think we were Michelle and I have been discussing Michelle Holland and I have been discussing this quite a fair bit is right now potentially we could hire people interstate to do a job in Adelaide I think you know you yep. could very not that that's what we want to do you know we promote South Australia and everything yep. like that but it it brings home the simple fact that we could potentially hire someone in Canada yeah, absolutely to, to do work for us as well just purely if, if there doesn't need to be the face to face we could hire people from all around the world so this has just completely opened up the market to to everyone, I guess. The simple fact that Zoom and I mean everyone's turning to Zoom and Teams, aren't they? Expecting uh, them to yeah. create what is the new way of working. Yeah, look, and it's interesting to see and that I think that's a really good indication for why Agile is so good is like you can run all of those processes virtually by remote. Mm. And I think that's part of the power of it as well. So you can get your development, you can get your processes, you you can do it all by remote teams and you know zoom and some sort of digital kanban repository for everyone monitoring their work mm-hmm. um, like everything's always good in better in you know analog face to face but if you don't have that opportunity due to whatever conditions it may be then i think it's a it's a wonderful i was having a conversation with someone that could you imagine what it would be like trying to work this way if there was no such thing as the internet like oh. Like so many companies would just be wiped away instantly, but it's allowed people to carry on and continue to add value to the market, especially when we've got a market like it is at the moment, which is struggling under the pressure of the virus. Uh, It's really interesting. If there was no internet, we probably wouldn't be panicking as much, maybe. (laughs) Well, yeah, everything has a good side and a bad side. The media hype. So just on the – you talked about there's companies who are – who are going to take and get on the bus, I guess, and get on get on the ride and, and, and take their business forward. There are companies that are sitting around waiting. Is that a leadership issue? Yeah, I'll Does, pick up my rant from earlier. Yeah, yeah I think, I, I, you know, it's one thing that I really see that a lot of value for companies gets left on the table at that level of an organisation. And you know, you'll see it, you always see it in leadership development where it seems to turn up where senior leaders are always... Oh, you just got to keep it simple. And it's like, well, actually, no, you don't need to keep it simple because that's part of your actual core problem is mm. you actually need to upgrade your thinking to the next. I've got a saying when I work with leaders, it's every time you upgrade your iPhone, upgrade yourself. Mm-hmm. So you kind of got to get into that mindset of upgrading. Every time you do an upgrade of a phone, you kind of get into that life cycle of a piece of knowledge or information really only has that kind of six to 12 month life cycle in it before you need something else mm. on top of it so we you know we've got to keep building our capabilities so when it comes to senior leaders like getting to the top and coasting is you know it may be great for you but i don't think it's necessarily great for the organization and you need to keep building on that it's mm. the perfect time to actually be doing more complex work rather than less complex but they see it generally as a distraction from 
doing the kind of work that's required. And I, you know, I think that goes, there are some businesses that are in that mindset and there are some that are in the, yep, actually we need to be doing more complex work. Mm. And what does that look like for us? And, you know, how would, how would we do that given the, the market that we've got at the moment and the climate? So depending on what happens now with COVID, what do you think are some possible scenarios coming out of this for the future of all the accelerated yeah, future? So I've, so I've been running over this, you know, over my chai latte over the last couple of weeks, every morning is thinking pretty much in the same way that most people that have been thinking about the horizons have. I think there's a V-shaped recovery. I think we will rebound quite quickly. I think some of the assessments that people have made around why that's not possible could possibly be a little bit more traditionally minded. I think, again, technology unlocks value far quicker than we've ever had the opportunity before. Mm. So I believe there's possibly more of an opportunity for a V-shaped rebound than there probably have been in the future because you've got to start all that infrastructure back up again where you've actually got a large majority of it running in the background digitally. Mm. So it's, it's less effort to yeah. get back up to running speed. Just flick a switch. Yeah, it, really. basically. So I think that's that's definitely one thing. I think there's what's probably going to happen with a U-shaped recovery where the bottom where we're at at the moment, it won't be a V, a straight bounce, but it'll be a bit of an elongated recovery before mm-hmm. we go back up. There's the L-shaped recovery where things stay where they are yeah. for quite a long period of time before they they start to move back up. It's not really a recovery, is it? No, it's kind of stay where we are. We've kind of landed flat on our backsides and that's where we're going to stay for a while. I don't think that will be the case. I think as soon as we can start to move in spaces physically, I think we will start to see a rather sort of quick acceleration. I think we're already seeing that. I think, yeah, yeah, that's what I I think as well. My only fear is the W-shaped recovery, which is where we get to where we are, we have a sudden, and then we get into the winter season with the flu. and second wave. Yeah, the second wave comes through and that kind of, we we get another sort of wipeout period where we're all back to where we are or have Mm. been in the last six weeks. And then after that, possibly recovery and then vaccines and once we get into that space i think you know then it'll be pretty much whatever normal we've established by that period we'll, you know we'll see an acceleration beyond there as well have you thought five years down the track it's hard to think five years at the moment because yes. things are changing so much, much. <laughs> I, I think there's a few key indicators i think you know you've got quantum computing lots of technologies that will not necessarily be the the single technology, but the convergence of multiple technologies, you know, depending on when our best friend, Mr. Musk gets autonomous <laughs> driving and those things yeah. up. I, I think there's a real trend though, towards distributed everything, you know, mm. um, Google distributed information. Mm. That was the sort of movement of moving information to distribute, you know, blockchain has started to think about finances and how you distribute finance. Elon's thing about sort of, distributing transportation by sort of autonomous mobile taxis and car ownership then like there's big questions about entire kind of sections of the market surviving that kind of sort of revolution yeah so i think there definitely seems to be and then the gig economy again On so that. yeah distributed value seems to be kind of a key underlying theme that technology seems to be driving for us and i i think that will continue you know, home ownership is the one thing that I, I think will possibly go under the microscope next about how would you distribute home ownership in a more 
effective way because mm. I think what happens is all the things that seem to cost lots seem to run under the distributed microscope eventually because when things become too onerous to own yourself because of the cost, then people want to share that cost but share in the benefit. So, Are we seeing that already with Airbnb? Yeah, so I think probably Airbnb is a great example mm. of that, of distributed sort of home ownership. And we did a, a long before I came to Adelaide, we did a big project for an aged care company in Melbourne. And one of the kind of things that we came up with for them for their internal innovation was an internal Airbnb for their particular aged care group mm-hmm. and where they people would trade their houses around Australia yeah, because that cool. was one of the you know the major deterrents to travelling at age is cost of the accommodation. So if people could agree sort of house swapping internal through an internet then freed up one of the primary costs and you know deterrents from travelling. Which as you age, you know, you wanna you wanna get out and about as much as you can and see the world as much as you can. So it was a yeah, really great innovation yeah. around the distribution of, of housing and how you could make that work for you rather than against you. Yeah, that's so cool. Scary though, because I'm into real estate, so I want to make sure I keep my investments, keep running. Okay, so I know you deal more in large corporates, but there's a lot of people that would probably listen to this who are in small business. What do you think the future looks like for for small business? What is the main difference, really? I think cash flow is which generates opportunities, right? So the more cash flow you have, the more flexibility or choices that you have. And big corporates, despite what they might say, generally have enough money to float themselves over particular periods like this. And if you've had a look at the stock market, there's a lot of companies that have been doing capital raising at the moment Mm -hmm. to float themselves over this, you know, Webjet and Flight Centre and all of those particular places, which have really been hit quite hard. So I think cash flow is a real, it seems fairly obvious because of its ability to empower your choices going forward. But, you know, it it would be extremely stressful, I think, for some people in small business where where your income is generated off your ability to interact with each other. Mm. You know, as a consultant, it's everything that I do, you know, low infrastructure, everything can be done virtually. The services value is in, can be virtualized quite easily yeah. as opposed to if you were in some, like even retail, there's so many retail places at the moment that can't operate. I went, was going to go out for dinner, must have been not last week, the week before, but when you don't get out of the house, you you know, it's hard to realize that until you actually get there and have a look around that there's a lot of places that you would normally go without you know, a second thought that aren't actually open. So Mm. it's incredibly challenging, you know, for them at the moment. So I think cash flow is the the key in there. And, you know, hopefully for most people coming into it with enough to float over the period of, and hopefully things turn around in the next week or so and we we get an increase in our capacity to open up those businesses for people. Going back to real estate i guess as a yep. as an industry that is potentially going to be affected and you talk about the world moving into a virtual world office space becomes it's a big one at the moment yeah well, what, about. what's your thoughts in that and, and so i guess that's commercial real estate is definitely an industry that's going to see some type of effect whether it be positive or negative probably looking more likely negative at this stage yeah are there other industries as well that you can see that are getting affected by this? Well, first, what's your, what's your thought process on the commercial real estate? 
I think it'll fall into one of those two categories we spoke mm-hmm. about earlier. I think there'll be people that want that new normal into that space. Mm-hmm. And COVID-19 has been a really great experiment ground to test lots of hypotheses about what is, what's possible. And a lot of assumptions are getting reevaluated. I think that that's not possible. And, you know, we've, we've had places that are similar to this before, like ANZ's building in Melbourne, where it's really only structured for 70% of the workforce to be present on site at one time. Mm-hmm. But now you're getting starting to see articles about, well, do we need the corporate office at all? Like moving from a 70% occupancy to zero and what would that look like? And, you know, a client I was at the other day and was, was asking, you know, some of these similar questions and I proposed, well, you know, there's an office is just really, you know, a collection of people sitting around a table. I said, there's a great opportunity there. You could, you could run a team from a cafe for a day support the local business reduce your overheads and there's a win-win for everyone in those op- in that particular instance so yeah, well i haven't thought about that yeah so it's people who know me i'm a, I'm a big advocate of and i seem to have high productivity rates when i'm at cafes so yeah. it tends to be like slowly working my way through every cafe in adelaide caffeine will do that to exactly you. <laughs> so i really find that that you know, there's these possibilities and, you know, asking the questions about how would you be co-located? Are there co-working spaces that you could work at? Like, is the, the corporate office a thing of the past? And I think you know, there's some very, very serious questions being asked about the possibility of that. I think I posted an article at one of my clients the other day. There's an article in Forbes where they're just saying, the, the, you know, the head office is a, now a thing of the past. People have been actually able to see that they can operate reasonably well without it that is scary for the commercial in commercial yeah, absolutely. Real estate industry these people have put millions of dollars into buildings for no one to be leasing them out that is a bit worrying i i you know i think the amount of people that take that approach will be small to start with mm. and then like most things i you know a lot of business they're always looking for someone else to go first you yeah. like you go first and then we'll see how you go <laughs> yeah. and then you know i'll be the second adopter yeah. and yeah, we'll come in over the top and you know learn from your mistakes kind of thing but i think there's you know there's several businesses talking about it so it will be interesting to see what the outcome from that is we're actually seeing i mean we work with obviously culture and change as yep. well we're seeing what we're hearing from our clients is that productivity has never been greater purely a because people are getting two hours a day potentially two hours a day back in they're yeah. not having that nine thirty, ten thirty coffee then a half an hour an hour for lunch and the two thirty coffee not yep. to mention the, the hour each way from getting in and out of the city so they're probably spending more time on their laptops so that's number one but number two there's so much less micromanagement going on right now yep. in the sense that someone can't breathe over their, over their neck and look at everything that they're doing and the, le- the level of trust has to go up. And- yeah, I think, you know, that's the, this level of psychological safety you have in your team and, and trust and they've been accelerated into, you know, a future where th- that's that's your requirement because mm-hmm. your conditions, that's the way you have to work because yeah. you can't micromanage people 24 unless you want to be you know really creepy and send cameras to everyone's house and really take a you know a sort of overlord picture of it i think that you know there's a but you know everyone's i think embraced technology quite well so it does put onus on leaders though to become more innovative and creative than ever with their people and, and think about right now culture is more important than ever 
Totally. I think, you know, there's that theory of constraints and it actually drives innovation as much as constraints. It constrains certain things, but then it opens up thinking about things in different ways when you have those constraints in place. And, and so I think we're seeing, yeah, it's really interesting at the moment. What's, which way people are going, how they're doing it, what systems they're using, what platforms they're using and, you know, thinking about productivity. And you, you see it all the time when you do in agile when you do sprint planning and you're thinking about your sprint and you're doing your planning and you're blocking work for a day and thinking about you know estimation and how much work a person gets done in a day and you'll ask a team oh you know so when you're doing your planning for the day how many hours are you thinking about you you've got up your sleeve to do this work and they'll go oh, eight hours and i said so i want you to take out the toilet breaks the chats the coffees and actually what you'll actually find is people end up with about six hours or mm. five and a half hours yeah, work. Absolutely. And so when you're doing sprint planning, people will do their first sprint and they'll go, oh, wow, we, we only got half of what we got done. And I was like, why do you think that is? Yeah. And we'll eventually come around in the retrospective to figuring out that it's like, oh, wow, we overestimated the amount of work we did or could do because our primary assumption was wrong at the start. Mm. We started with eight hours when we only had five. Mm. And once they get that they understand the fact that their own bias overestimation and they get around about the right amount of time and they nearly hit their sprint goals every time and so they mature quite quickly to realize that you will not you don't have eight hours of the day to play with no i've got a couple of mates that work for government could almost say they spend a couple of hours down the toilet so yeah <laughs> but it, but it, it begs the question because they do that to get away i guess and get that break but when you're in your own home you actually don't need that no you don't you don't need to if you can keep the dogs butts from sparking yeah, and everyone that rides by yeah. you know oh, it I, has its own my business partner michelle holland who you know i reckon i've gotten to know her dogs more now than ever they're <laughs> just them barking yeah. in the background yeah. i know them i know them they know my voice i think better than anything too so it's quite funny so any other industries that you think will be affected we talk about the real estate commercial industry all that sort of stuff but other industries that you feel could take a hit or change completely well or? obviously there's travel travel which, you know, I huge. think there's been but well, that, that'll bounce back quite quickly when confidence. I hope so. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, I think what's interesting is Virgin, which is really interesting. They, you yeah. know, didn't you know had so much debt, and they couldn't cover it in the short term, and it's, it's been a big yeah. collapse. And until someone sort of can pick up that or, or purchase it or buy it at a bargain, and then you know, it's, we'll see. It's, it would, I think it would be sad for Australia as a whole that if we had a monopoly airline which we did in the past when ANSAC collapsed and that was definitely not good for customers. No. So, and that's just, and that's not. Well, there's already talk of them getting bailed out. I there, think yeah, so. Yeah. I think something will, will come about. I hope they do. I've got a credit waiting yeah, for Yeah, I think I've got a couple as well. <laughs> so, yeah, look, I'm praying that that does turn around. Yeah, very good. All right. So, what's the next steps for the world? I think it'll be grounding the learnings that they've had through this period and then, realizing what what does a new normal look like for us as individuals depending on how we've adapted and how we've adjusted to the changes that we've had to go with over the last say you know two months and it's going to be interesting to see which way people go out of those two let's go back to the past let's get in the delorean and go back to the future mm. and where we were or to talking about things we've had a dose of it and we didn't like it or there'll be those organizations that go at that that's really shifted the way we think about the world and where we're going to 
maximize that going forward into the future and how are we going to do that and how are we going to take our learnings and scale those learnings across the organization and how is this our new point to work forward from mm-hmm. and so i think there'll be i think a majority of them will go in reverse and i think you know the the, the organizations we talk about as being innovative and future focused two years into the future will be the ones that have made that decision yeah yeah i don't even though technology is a wonderful thing, changing it, you know, everyone, how difficult is it to make a personal change in your life? So changing a whole bunch of people takes a long time generally. Yeah. So I think there'll be early adopters, innovators, early adopters, all the people that exist through that innovation curve, not only in organisations, but there'll be organisations themselves that find themselves on that curve. So do you think they'll go back, I guess, to the way they were working but with the mindset that they do need to change, so go back to get their foundation right. Do you reckon that is that a common thinking, or do you think they'll just go back and go, "No, nah, we're just going to put our heads in the sand I think and it'll carry be on"? Both. Yeah, yeah. I think it a little. It depends. Every organization is really different. Now, you do have particular industries that are particularly a certain way. You know, I find like it's really hard to do. I, maybe I just need to say with a caveat. I found it really personally hard to shift things like government organizations and and councils and those now there's always the outliers that i think are are really really good and that do really progressive things so i think but they're generally in the minority in that particular sector Mm. and then there are organizations that are you know have high technology high digital literacy where it's much easier to capitalize Mm. on on the environment and the technology that we have and can use that quite easily to generate new ways of working and not only do that but think about it in a way that actually helps future proof them to running into the same kinds of problems again and makes them like virtuous learning organizations and adaptive organizations continue to adapt as they move along very cool if you had a tip for people right now oh, you're putting me on the spot i am one tip that you could recommend people right now to think about during this downtime, mm. what's one thing that people could be doing to prepare for the, the potential V or the U that goes back up? I think it's use the opportunity, like the, the downtime, and use it to accelerate the starting blocks and put them further down the track. So mm. when it is good to go and we can, and even if it's just try one new diff, different one thing a week, from you know an individual or leadership perspective one one thing a week over five or six weeks that's six things and then it's not the collection of those six things it's the way those six things smash into each other that Mm. creates that novel new interesting way of working and i think that's one of the things that i see is that people think about things as a collection of individual things linked together in a linear line where people that really get the sort of, you know, Elon Musk's a great example, you know, took technology, took cars, took, smashed it all together and, you know, he's made this brand that has this kind of multi-application across multiple things. Yeah. And so by learning those six things, it's more than the, you know, the end result is more than just the sum of the parts. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the – if you continue to take that attitude and sort of take that into kind of the multiple disciplines in your life, then I think – that situates you in a good place to have that learner's mind and that creative mind about going. I think start who did start Simon Sinek's calling it the the infinite, the finite, and the, the infinite, infinite game. game yeah. Like that mindset, that infinite mindset. Yeah, is is yeah. I think that puts you in good stead to start. It's a culmination but, of things coming together. Yeah, I mean. and but it's the emergence of the novelty of those yeah. things crashing together. 
That's yeah, really that's interesting. That's a really great way of thinking. Mm. All right, so we've come to what's probably one of my favourite parts of the. <laughs> I'm feeling the pressure here. The whole thing. So we'll, we'll start thinking. We're almost at an hour now, so we'll start um, thinking about. It. But we've got some quick fire questions. Okay. Now I'm trying to change these up every time I shoot through. Some might throw. There's particularly one that might throw you. I like this. I've thrown this one in today, but. First off, what book are you reading right now? Or what? No, you've said Malcolm Turnbull, so I'll ask that differently. What's one of your favourite books? From a business perspective? What's one of your favourite books? I'm not really... I really liked Brave New Work, Aaron Dignan's book from last year. Brave New Work. Which was really influential in thinking about agile without all the fuss mm-hmm. and about this kind of new world of work, agile, all of these really concepts in a really concise easy to digest way where lots of people that I, g- I gave it as a present to were like oh finally someone's put it all together and taken all the complicated bits out of it and just made it really easy to read yeah, um, and he's just a really engaging speaker so I encourage people to sort of watch his videos after and they're like oh so wow Aaron Digman Dignan Dignan yep excellent I'll look him up alright what's your favourite I'm starting to sweat now what's your favourite movie favourite movie I really liked Interstellar Oh, yeah. With Matthew McConaughey and... Scientifically uh, incorrect, but we won't go down there. Yeah. (laughs) I'm a bit of a sci-fi guy. Yeah, okay, right. (laughs) But it is a good... The concept of the storyline is fantastic. Yeah, I just... I found in the end of it, like, you know, it must have been dusty in the theatre, just, like, shed a tear, just, like, the sheer scale of the concepts (laughs) being played out. So, yeah, yeah, it was... I really enjoyed that. He's a good actor, McConaughey. Yeah, he's really evolved over a period of time. He has. He's moved out of the rom-com situation that he used to be in to quite a diverse actor. He has, he has. So what's one thing on your bucket list? Now you've put me on the spot. I haven't really thought about it. Don't know. Can I have a think about it while we circle Rain through the check, next couple? Yeah, yeah. Yep. You're a morning person or a night person? Morning person, morning. definitely. Yeah. yeah. I'm I'm up five, quarter past five most mornings. And work, start work? Yeah, or? definitely. Definitely work. It yeah. starts to try, and, to try and get a couple of hours, especially when you're client-facing a lot of the time. You, the actual work on your own business, you just don't get time to do that. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah. I hear you loud and clear. <laughs> What's one thing that annoys you the most? You mentioned leaders a couple of times. Oh, yeah, I'm so <laughs> Everyone said to me, you need to lay off that rant. <laughs> but some people will laugh. But just generally, I think when you have a really complex inside of your mind, like having a tidy outside is important because mm. it can't all be messy. So, yes. And sometimes I don't succeed at that, I must admit. But I think it's, yeah, I find for people that work with a lot of complexity all the time, that, that having something that's neat and ordered somewhere along the track is kind of important. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I like to try and keep things reasonably clean. Last question. This one's going to throw you. What colours your toothbrush? <laughs> White and pale blue. There, <laughs> there you, you go. go. I've got one of those electric ones. Although <laughs> it's a bit grimy. I must admit, I looked at it today and I went, oh God, that really needs a clean. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Pete, for joining us. It's, it's been, been an absolute pleasure, it's my been friend. It's awesome. Much appreciated. Where can we find you? Uh, so you can just find me on Instagram, just PeteHoliday1, or on my website, PeteHoliday.com. And just on LinkedIn, just Perfect. Pete Holiday. We'll post the links as well, won't we, Gabs? Yes, we yes, will we will. post the links. <laughs> And uh, yeah, thanks again for joining us. No, Much it's been a pleasure. Fantastic. Like I said, I've been a big fan of yourself and Michelle for a while, so it's been good to sit down and have a chat. Thank you once again for joining us here at Creating Synergy. It's been great spending this time with you. Please jump onto the Synergy IQ Facebook page where the discussion continues after the show. 
join our mailing list so you'll know what's happening next at synergyiq.com.au. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. And if you really enjoyed it, please share it with your friends.